This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, this is Owen Craig from the Panel Culture Podcast, and you are listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Welcome to episode 72 of THN, where Joe Patrick is free to do whatever he wants, any old time, and we are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 27th, and we're reading your answers to the question of the week that Joe Patrick so kindly posted at 3.15 this afternoon. Listen. That's one week we did it on time. There are two of us <laughs> responsible for this podcast, The important part of this is we posted on Facebook and Twitter this, well, not this morning, but this afternoon, and Today. if you want to friend us or follow along so you can play along, please do. My name is Matt Baum, and when I'm not leaping onto the back of my giant bald eagle with my trusty flaming Colt 45 at my side, an American flag cape to protect this great country from whatever the new cycle is telling me is killing liberty and freedom at the moment, I am writing about and appraising comics for WorkPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, and when I'm not painting my face red, white, and blue and doing my best bare-chested hacksaw Jim Duggan impersonation while bending enemies of freedom in half with a little American wrestling move called the Boston Crab... I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. This week, you'll hear reviews of Hypernatural. Oh! That was pretty good. You only was more like a... Oh! Hey, <laughs> I know Hacksaw. <laughs> this week, you'll hear reviews of Hypernaturals, number one, and Hit Girl, number one. After that, we'll review 10 comics faster than an M80 can blow a little Patriot's fingers off during the ludicrous speed round, and then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss the future of next week's comics, and finally, we'll reveal our top five patriotic superheroes that aren't Captain America as a part of our special 4th of July Top 5 Countdown. But before we get to butchering the high note of the National Anthem, let's take a second to decry the real miscarriage of justice that threatens to trample liberty and freedom as we know it. Anne Curry being forced off the Today Show by Comrade Matt Lauer. I thought he was such a nice guy. I thought people hated Anne Curry. Nobody hates her except Matt Lauer. And as we all know, our friend Ryan from Movie Ha hates her. Tom Cruise thinks he's very glib. Let's start by following up on a story THN discussed several weeks ago. It seems like the rumor that Marvel Studios is planning a big budget movie based on the Guardians of the Galaxy, one that will tie directly into their shared universe and Avengers 2, is becoming a reality. Aside from a relatively high-profile comeback in the pages of the movie-centric Avengers Assemble, the Guardians of the Galaxy were the subjects of 11 new trademark applications filed by Marvel this week. The trademarks will cover a wide range of products and services, everything from jewelry and furniture to food and video games. I cannot wait for my Nova beanbag. I'm so excited. (laughs) Basically, if the Guardians' faces can be slapped on it, Marvel wants to control it. Then... Bleeding Cool reported rumors of a new Nova series, one possibly drawn by Ed McGinnis, and featuring the new version of the character, Boo, Well, that has appeared in the Avengers vs. X-Men comic and the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. Bleeding Cool is tying this theory into Brian Michael Bendis' rumored overhaul of Marvel's cosmic characters, which would also include the relaunch of the Guardians in their own title. Finally... Latino Review, which your, is just your source for comic the news. The weirdest name for a website. Is it weird that we're getting our our like news here from like patent clerks and Latino Review? Uh, <laughs> hold that thought. <laughs> Latino Review reported that the Guardians movie will join the sequels to Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America with a 2014 release as part of Marvel's ramp up to Avengers 2. Matt. This rumor is looking more and more solid by the minute, and I'm sure we'll know more when Comic-Con hits in July, but can a Guardians of the Galaxy movie actually succeed? I 
have no idea. I, I, I mean, like, it just, it sounds cool, sure, but I guess the Guardians of the Galaxy that I love are Abnett and Lanning's Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, we're going to get to more of that later on when I review Hypernaturals. I'll talk about it. But, like, is Brian Michael Bendis really the guy that you want to reinvent the Marvel Cosmic Universe? Do we need a bunch of cosmic talking heads? I don't know. You know, like like the cosmic characters sitting around the table in Reservoir Dogs talking about who's going to pick up the tip and, <laughs> and Madonna's big <laughs> in your ear. And so, like, you know, I mean, like, I just, this is so strange. I don't know what to make of it. I want to just be excited because Marvel hasn't really put out a stinker yet. And I get it. I think they're trying to go for some of their properties to fill the void where maybe the Fantastic Four could have been. I don't know, maybe the X-Men could have been because those are Fox properties and Sony properties. And maybe they're trying to develop something else to really get some mainstream characters up there. And that's cool. Thor is going to have to be a major part of this, though. You can't just throw in, like, Rocket Raccoon and Groot. No, and... Thor is getting his own sequel. No, I mean, this I know that. Be... I mean, part of the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Oh, nah, you, They're going to have to do something. You're going to have to tie it in like that. I don't think they will. Like, really? You think because if... Nova if... and Star-Lord... <laughs> <laughs> if Captain America 2, Iron Man 3, and Thor 2 all kind of point the way to a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, especially with the Thanos thing... I think it could work. What Marvel has to do in the next two years is get people that don't read comics to care about the Guardians of the Galaxy. Which I'm sure they'll appear in like Thor 2 or something like that. Yeah. They're going to have to do that. But then to just spin a movie out of that, that's risky, man. I'm not saying it's not going to be good. I'm just saying this is risky. It's a risk I'm glad that they're willing to take, or rumor has it. Because the last thing I want is for Marvel to just crank out sequels. Think back to where... The Avengers were comic-wise before Bendis took over. Right. Chuck Austin. Ooh. Okay? Yeah. And now look at it now. Avengers is like the biggest franchise in comics. No, I got it. I just don't know if Bendis is the guy. I don't I, know if he's the guy either because, you know, we've had our bad things to say about his work. Right. And I, I'm not, I don't necessarily but have you bad things to say about his work. I'm just saying, like, it seems strange to have him doing your space stuff. I would love to see them give... Abnett and Lanning another shot at this with some major push and say, hey, it's coming. And maybe people pay more attention to it because it is going to be in a movie. And they go, wow, this is great stuff because it was but great Abnett stuff. Abnett and Lanning didn't have the juice to keep the Guardians comic going. Or, as good as that was, nobody cared. I mean, and I agree, but they also didn't have a movie announcement at the time. True that. Real quick, Latino Review consistently. Yes, this is not the first time. There, not only do they always have weird breaking news and rumors, but most of the time they're right. Yes, I don't know how they do it. I don't know where they get their information. But if Latino Review says it's happening, I'm willing to actually bet money on it. <laughs> Moving along, legendary writer and artist George Perez has given fans a bleak look behind the curtain of DC's New Fifty Two. In a Q&A video from Metropolis, Illinois' annual Superman celebration, Perez revealed that he couldn't wait to step down as the writer and breakdown artist of the relaunched Superman title, saying, quote, it was not the experience I wanted it to be. The creator said that he didn't mind that the company was making continuity changes to the character, but when decisions were being made, then altered, then altered again, before issues had even shipped, the situation became untenable. 
Perez revealed that not only was he unaware that there would be a second Superman title, Grant Morrison's Action Comics, which I'm sorry, George, but you didn't know there was going to be an action title, but that he had no idea Morrison was writing a book set in the past, which affected key points of Perez's own plots. Perez was left in the dark about which characters did or did not exist in the new continuity, and even whether or not Ma and Pa Kent were supposed to be alive or dead. Writing the title became so difficult that Perez would tell his editors, quote, Here, this is my script. If you change it, that's your prerogative. Don't tell me. Don't ask me to edit it. Don't ask me to correct it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Finally, Perez implied the DC executives were making creative changes on titles without even knowing what was going on in the rest of the books. What do you think, Joe? And can I say, I told you so yet? I like how you changed what I wrote. Yes, I changed it. That's very nice. Listen. It was obvious. Reading Perez's Superman, it was obvious. Well... I will tell you that I am kind of relieved to hear that the badness, let's just say it, the badness of the Superman it was book bad. was not because George Perez is bad at his job. To be fair, I don't think you or I, I don't think either of us blamed George Perez for that. I think we looked at it and we went, what are they doing here? If anything, and ultimately, it just seemed like there was a gigantic editorial hand in those very early days of the relaunch. There was a gigantic oh, even editorial still. hand. Even still. Right. That was not lording over other people's stuff. We just had, we discussed rumor last week about Grant Morrison having no ties to anyone and whatsoever. DC too scared to correct him. Right. Oh, and actually in the interview, if you read the transcript of Perez's interview, he, he does make it seem like Grant Morrison was just calling his own shot. Oh, yeah. And nobody was saying anything about it. Which, and so, like we said, goes right along yeah. with what we heard last week. You can go down the list. Firestorm, Hawkman. I mean, there's a litany of these characters that maybe aren't even being mishandled by the creators themselves, but they're being forced to follow such a heavy editorial hand that they can't do anything. And that editorial hand doesn't even seem to know what's going on. Well, and interestingly, Perez was quick to point out that it's not Dan DiDio's hand. What does that mean? It means that there are other people... Is that Jeff Johns and Jim no, Lee? What I think is that Warner Entertainment finally understands now. Oh. They see what Marvel's doing and the success that they're having with their movies. So somebody down the hall pushes a red button and a speaker goes off in, uh, we'll say, <laughs> Rob Lee Field's office. Sure. And then goes, ah, here's the thing. Kids like action movies, so make Deathstroke uh, more action-packed. Go get them, Rob. More, we love you. <laughs> more spikes on Hawkman. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that... Other executives higher up the food chain at DC are now paying attention and they are just mucking with the works. Like, say what you will about Dan DiDio, but at least that guy took chances and they weren't always the right decisions. This is true. But- and I've, I've been very critical of Dan DiDio. I really like your theory. I honestly do, because what's going on doesn't make sense. And you could say that Dan DiDio wasn't afraid to screw with continuity or ignore things, but he always made sure things were in lockstep. And yes, yes. They were going right along. Whether it was Infinite Crisis that screwed everything up or Final Crisis, whatever. Things were moving together as a unit. The universe yes. made sense. You could argue now that some of these books don't even feel like they're taking place in the same reality. Absolutely. Absolutely true. We were both kind of eager to defend the DC reboot when it first started. And there are a number of books. Uh, this is not to take away from DC at all. There are a number of books in the relaunch that are excellent. Excellent books, and I will continue to read them even as the ship sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. But their sails are plummeting. Right now, I have done a turnaround, and I think that the DC reboot was a mistake. And the DC universe, as we know it now, 
has completely lost whatever made it special. I will still say that I think it was completely ballsy, and I stand by him on that. It was a very ballsy move. I just think it was mishandled, and it was rushed. Mishandled, exactly. And God help them the day Scott Snyder and Grant Morrison decide that they're done. Finally, long time... Finally, longtime Captain America writer Ed Brubaker confirmed that he's leaving the title after a run that spanned nearly a decade. In an interview with the Comics Reporter, Brubaker stated that sixth gun writer Cullen Bunn will co-write a four-issue arc from Captain America number 15 to 18, with Brubaker returning for a solo final issue. According to Brubaker, Bunn is being brought on to assist with the increased production schedule that has become widespread among Marvel's more popular titles. I'm sure you've all felt that in your pocketbooks. Whether Bunn will continue to write the book after Brubaker's departure is anyone's guess, as Marvel has not made any official announcements regarding the creative shift yet. And this just in, speaking of creators leaving books, Tony Daniel announced he's leaving Detective Comics after... On his Facebook page. So weird. Calm down, man. It's just weird. That's where he chooses to interact with people. Weird. So, Matt, what do you think about all this? I think Cullen Bunn is not going to be your Captain America writer. I don't think so. I think Cullen Bunn right now is Marvel's go-to fill-in guy. Like, Uh, I love Cullen Bunn. I love the six-gun. You can't replace a guy like Ed Brubaker with Cullen Bunn. You just can't. You've got to bring in a name, a a big name. I agree with that. Captain America is their Superman book, basically. Yeah. And they're doing a much better job on their Superman than DC's (laughs) doing on their Superman. (laughs) So, no, I don't see Cullen Bunn staying there for long. I'm honestly more interested in the Tony Daniel detective story because detective, we both agree, has not been very good. And maybe not entirely Tony Daniel's fault because the art is great. He's just not a writer. Well, yeah, that's Tony. I mean, he's just not. Ultimately, DC gave him the job, but he's not a good writer. And he was good for sales. It did really well. Sure. But he's not a writer. And I want to see, I'm really interested to see who they bring on Detective. I'm hoping, I love Scott Snyder's Batman. I don't want to see him writing both books. I either want somebody new or I want to see somebody like Greg Rucka. I would like to go back to what they did for a long time where Detective was the detective book and Batman was the superhero book. Yeah. That's what I would like to see. As far as Brubaker, I don't know who replaces him. It you, has been you have, so solid and for so long. You have until the end of this episode to I come know, up with I've a got point. an idea. And at the very end of the show, I'll bounce up and I bet you will. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where I've posted a transcript and an interview detailing the creative changes I'm forced to deal with on a weekly basis, namely when Joe decides that this episode is not, in fact, a fifth-week episode, making us both look like idiots because he sat right here across from me last <laughs> week agreeing that we'd be doing a fifth-week show. There, are, there aren't five episodes in June. I'm sorry. Speaking the- of Cap, <laughs> earlier today we posted the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter, and it went a little something like this. After a nearly eight-year run, who do you think is patriotic enough to replace Ed Brubaker's writing duties on Captain America? Joe, what are the kiddies saying? On our Facebook page, listener Harvey Locust says, give Joe the job. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. But we all know Joe can't get anything done. Otherwise, we'd have a new website. <laughs> what else are they saying? Superfan and King of Eskinerd Aaron Myers says, For me, I think Greg Rucka would be a great writer for Cap. I don't disagree. He's an interesting choice. And uh, Aaron thinks that Rucka would have a pretty good take on the character. Yeah, I could see. You know what I might rather see is Rucka doing a S.H.I.E.L.D. book. Yeah. Doing like a spy-related S.H.I.E.L.D. Ooh, book. Ooh, Rucka would do great. He oh, would Like a Queen and Country style yeah, with, S.H.I.E.L.D. book? With Holy. Steve running S.H.I.E.L.D. 
and like a bunch of guys under him. Nick Fury secretly working with Steve. You know, oh man, Nick Fury, Nick Fury Jr. Ooh, no, the real Nick Fury. Greg Rekka was a popular choice. White Nick Fury. All that's racist. <laughs> Greg Rekka was a popular choice uh, all over our Facebook and Twitter. It's review time again, where each week, Joe and I pop two comics into the microwave for approximately two minutes and then tear open their bags before they cool to burn our mouths with their buttery goodness. Joe, tell the kids what you read. I had the good fortune of reading Hit Girl Number 1 from Marvel slash Icon. This one is written... It's also Miller World. Yes. Marvel slash Icon slash Miller World. So this is written by Mark Miller, or Millar, depending on your proclivities. Millar. Breakdowns are by John Romita Jr. Finishes and ink washes by Tom Palmer. And colors by Dean White with a little help from Michael Kellimer. Here's your solicit. Hit Girl spins off into her own blood-soaked series by the sales-busting creative team of Mark Miller and John Romita Jr. This story takes place between Kick-Ass Volumes 1 and 2 as Mindy McCready tries to settle into life as a regular schoolgirl, but wants nothing more than to be dispensing hot justice to the scum of New York City. Her mother and stepfather think she's doing her homework, but in reality, she's taken kick-ass on as her sidekick and is training him up to punch, shoot, and stab, just like Daddy would have wanted. Let's get one thing straight right off the bat. This cover text is unacceptable. I'm not going to read it, but I'm sure you've seen it on the shelves. It just says the little bitch is back. Yeah, it's terrible. It's an adult book. I don't care. She is a little bitch. It's degrading, and it's doubly so when you consider that it's talking about a 10-year-old child. I hate it. A 10-year-old child that murders people. Yes. Do you think that's a distinction that Mark Miller is making when he writes that line? I think so. I don't think so. (laughs) As for the content, it I didn't find it much better. Uh, This picks up shortly after the events of Kick-Ass Volume 1, and for reasons I cannot fathom, Miller has chosen to release it after the conclusion of Kick-Ass Volume 2. It's a prequel to a sequel. It is ridiculous. And all through the issue, I got this same sense that Miller is making fun of me that I got from reading some of his other work, specifically Wanted. It hits every time the characters act out a classic comic trope, in this case, Uh, There's a scene where Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl perform an oath-swearing ceremony inspired by uh, the Golden Age issue where Robin becomes Batman's sidekick. Kick-Ass reveres the moment, but because the majority of the book is spent painting these real-life crime fighters as delusional lunatics, the moment is completely deflated. It just makes it seem like a joke. Like, these people are crazy. I don't know. I kind of got the feel from that. Yeah, I'll give you that. But I kind of got the feel that she was doing that more for his benefit than hers. Maybe. You know he, what I mean? I thought That's what I got from that. Not so much that, like, Malar was like, but he, she, again, is using that character kick-ass. But what you're... And doing that, doing what she thinks he needs. I got, I got what you're saying, but what you're referring to is a kind of subtlety that I don't think Mark Miller is capable of. I don't know. I, I would disagree there. I think he can be subtle when he wants to. Mm. I think in the in his kick-ass titles, this is the place where, yeah, he's about as subtle as a ball-peen hammer. Right? <laughs> I can't well, see that. But. When, when Miller tries to inject some genuine drama, that falls flat for me also. like After Mindy has a nasty run-in with some snarky classmates... She visits the site of her father's grave, 
looking for solace. And unfortunately, that moment is completely laughable to me because Miller chooses that particular moment to fill her dialogue with a stream of profanities that drain the drama right out of the right out of the scene. I didn't get that. I kind of like that scene, honestly. Uh, yeah. And that is how she talks. I get That's it. That's who she is. And I like that she's never been a little girl before. She was right. Like they have the scenes of her father, like handcuffing her and throwing her in the water. So she to see if she can escape in time and stuff like that. Like and she's flashing back to all the stuff. She never went to school. And she never I get, dressed I up. I get everything she that you're saying. She never did her hair. But you're giving Mark Miller credit that I am unwilling to give him. See, I don't know, man. I And if you disagree, that's fine. I but when that. I read it, maybe we're both projecting. But like when I read it, I don't get the sense that he's that clever of a writer. Oh, to I- me, it just makes it seem like she's at her daddy's grave looking uh, trying to to soothe her own uh, hurt feelings, and then talking about drowning motherfuckers. And I was just like, no. See, that's just how she... I don't know. I picked that up as that's how she talks. This is who she is. Yeah. And I, I liked it. I thought that scene was well executed, to tell you the truth. For me, the bright side is the art. Uh, the art team of John Romita Jr. and Tom Palmer... Yeah, Romita Jr. was really good here. They do a great job on the visuals. Palmer's finishes are a great match for Romita's loose pencils. And this makes Ramita's kick-ass art his best-looking work in a long time, unfortunately. And the the thing is is that I'm not a prude. I don't have a problem with the subject matter. Yes, you are. I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) I don't have a a problem with the subject matter or even the cursing. It's just overdone. I don't know. Like, maybe Miller's doing something here that I don't get. I'm willing to concede that. I just don't see that kind of clever subtlety in his writing ever, ever. Superior and Super Crooks, to name a couple, they have enough unique hooks that I'm able to find enjoyment in them. But Kick-Ass just reminds me of a child who makes a pee-pee joke that gets a polite chuckle from his family and then does nothing but make the same pee-pee joke over and over and over again because he craves that sense of approval. This series is just overstayed. It's welcome. I'm giving Hit Girl number one a leave it. I'm going to give it a skim it because I didn't go into this expecting to enjoy it and I did enjoy it a little bit. I do feel like he's beat on this dead horse for quite a while. And if you really wanted to do something with this, you should have done it right after the movie came out when everyone was raving about the performance of the girl that played Hit Girl yes. in Kick-Ass. This should have been Kick-Ass Volume 2. This is way too late to the table. But that said, I do think you're projecting a little bit. I think you're projecting because you didn't like the other Kick-Ass comics. And I get it. That's fine. I didn't especially like them either. No, I didn't mind Kick-Ass 1. I didn't love it. I, I liked it. I didn't love it. I don't know. I think he's writing this from a mouthy little kid's point of view, and I thought he did a good job of it. This is who this character is. If she all of a sudden softened up and got all sweet, it wouldn't make sense to the characterization. Well, then in that case, I don't like the character, and, and the problem fine. is the same. That's acceptable. I'm only giving it a skim it, because like I said, this seems pretty late to show up, and I think he's done just about everything he can with Kick-Ass, and I don't think they're getting a movie sequel anyway. He's planning five volumes of Kick-Ass. Well, we'll see how that goes based on sales. Matt, what about you? What did you read this week? Was it better than mine? This week, I read Hypernaturals number one from Boom, written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, with art by Brad Walker and Andres Guinaldo. Sure. Guinaldo. Yeah. Here's your solicit. It is the far future. The human race has finally colonized the galaxy, preserving an era of prosperity that's only possible because of the hypernaturals. They're a celebrated galaxy-wide superhero task force that keeps the peace. Where have I heard this theme before? That is, until they all mysteriously vanish. Now, as the galaxy teeters on the brink of chaos, it's up to a group of retired and long-forgotten hypernaturals and their novice recruits to save the galaxy from complete destruction. 
Abnett and Lanning, the superstar writing duo behind Annihilation and The Legion, launch an all-new original series that takes cosmic superheroes to a new frontier. I went into this hoping for more of Abnett and Lanning's Guardians of the Galaxy stories, because that, I've liked them for a long time, but I loved what they did there. And I was just hoping this would be maybe starring different characters at a slightly different publisher, but instead, I got a different take on their Legion of Superheroes work, which they wrote back in the late 90s and 2000. I loved their work on Legion Lost, and Hypernaturals was very close in tone. The story opens with Clone 45, the former team leader, dreaming about what seems to be the old team's final mission. And when he wakes up, we see that he's kind of a washed-up, drunken clone today, and he's working construction. He's having breakfast when the news breaks about the new Hypernatural team's disappearance, and he immediately starts to freak out. This is where we meet Bewilder, another member of the old team who's handling the PR during the disappearance and assembling a new team consisting of Thinkwell, another ex-member, and two new recruits, Shoal, who controls this cloud of exotic particles he called Strangelets, and Halfshell, who controls a semi-intelligent armor. I think. They didn't really go in to do much. <laughs> yeah, was, that's that was the deal. I'm not real clear on what Bewilder or Thinkwell's powers were because they didn't come right out and explain them like the new recruits did, but Thinkwell is obviously very intelligent. They actually, Bewilder, there's a text piece in the back that's right. like an interview with Bewilder, right. and she explains it. She's basically super speed, but... Okay, I, that's what I thought, because yeah. they kind of show it, but I don't know if that's all she does. I think there's more to it. As usual... For Abnett and Lanning, they like to throw their readers into the deep end without much explanation, other than, this is the future, humans live in space, some people have superpowers, here they're referred to as hyperpowers, and the baddest team that protects the universe just disappeared. There is a lot going on here, and the panels are packed with cosmic locations, dialogue, and explanations of tech, and powers, but it, it's not overwhelming. I mean, it, it's a little overwhelming. They Maybe do a, a it's a little nice, overwhelming. They do a nice job of setting up the universe on the first page with this pop-up news screen thing. And the back, like Joe said, has an extended interview with Bewilder that kind of fleshes out a little more of the team's history and some of her history. I would not necessarily start someone who's interested in reading a cosmic title here, but Abdon and Lanning, they write advanced stories. That's what they do. And that's part of what I like. They don't insult their audience. If anything, they dare their audience to keep up with them. The art by Brad Walker here, who drew some of my favorite Guardians of the Galaxy stuff, and the first six pages here, was amazing. Why we only got six pages from him, I'm not sure, but there's six great ones. Guinaldo's art is also very solid, but he's not at Walker's level. Yeah, why did he only draw six pages? I think it's because he's really slow. Well, if you think back to Guardians of the Galaxy, he was only drawing like every other issue. Yes, I think he's very slow. Hypernaturals looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. But in all honesty, I would really rather this was a Legion story. I, I mean, the whole time I, I was reading this, I kept thinking there's no way they didn't shop this idea to DC, right? I mean, at some point before the relaunch, what a perfect way to relaunch the Legion. You have one book that's taking place in the future where their star team has disappeared and is thrown into the pages of Legion Lost in the current DCU. What a perfect way to reset this. They bring back... But they told that story already. That was the story of Abnett and Lanning's Legion. Well, they're doing it again right now in the relaunch, too, aren't they? But, I mean, the point being, this would be a fantastic way to bring back some of the old Legion characters that we haven't seen for a while, establish the new future Legion, how it is, like, slightly different, and then you've got these guys running around on Earth. It would have been a lot 
I'm not going to say it would have been a lot more interesting because we've only read one issue of this and I did like it. I just kind of really wish this was a Legion story. Well, I mean, speaking as a literally a lifelong Legion of Superheroes fan, it would have been fine. There are certain things about the Legion that I don't necessarily think would fit in here. And I would be sad if they went away. But you know. I actually do like that this is a unique concept with unique characters. Are you telling me you don't believe that this was a Legion story that they tweaked? Yeah, but you are a conspiracy theorist who looks for drama where there is none. I'm just saying the tone was absolutely there. The feel for the group and everything, it was totally there. Even the costumes. (laughs) I would say One of the guys looked like Karate Kid. (laughs) (laughs) I would say that it was definitely inspired by the Legion of Superheroes. Regardless of all that. I am giving this a buy it. It was a lot of fun. Boom has done a great job with their sci-fi like push. I don't even know if it has a name. This sci-fi initiative that they're on. This is another winner here. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I really liked it. Uh, if you were able to pick up the free comic book day issue, that had the actual story of the team's disappearance. And it's pretty good. Tom Derenick did the art, who I'm not a big fan of, but... It's still fun. It's actually to, selling for like five to ten bucks. On it's eBay a right now. it's a great lead in, and I really liked this. I'll take Rad Walker whenever I can get him, even if it's in six page chunks. Yeah, that guy's great. And I am eager to see what comes next. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Calling occupants of interplanetary craft. As always, we want to know what you super aliens and preteen psychopaths thought of these comics, so let us know how interstellar and foul-mouthed our reviews were over at our Facebook page. It's been years in planning, and now Matt and I would like you to join us for our most dangerous, ludicrous speed round to date, where we will be filling our pants with the finest fireworks Chinese forced labor can produce, dousing our shoes in propane, lighting a match, and then leaping from the torch of the Statue of Liberty. If our calculations are correct, we should be sent rocketing across the country while reviewing 10 comics and then landing safely on the deck of the USS Enterprise aircraft carrier in San Francisco Bay, all for a very special... Fourth of July, ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed, go! Idolized Zero, Aspen. Uh, it's like American Idol with superpowers. Sound like any other currently running series to you? <laughs> uh, really nice paneling and art here, actually, by Micah Ganell. Not your typical J. Scott Campbell clone. He does a really nice job here. This is just a preview issue for two dollars and fifty cents. But for 12 pages, it's kind of a bummer. I wish they could do this for a dollar or maybe do it as a flip issue in this Soulfire Hope thing that came out this week. You know, it just do it for a dollar and I'll give it a buy at 250 makes it a skim it. Flash, number 10 from DC Comics. Marcus Toe has the completely thankless task of filling in for Francis <laughs> Poor Manipal. bastard. And he does a pretty decent job. Yeah, he did. Weather Wizard has inexplicably been reimagined as the leader of a Guatemalan drug cartel. Did not see that coming. Which is kind of weird, but whatever. I'm still loving this run of The Flash. It's one of the bright spots in the New 52, which I hate. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I'm taking a stand! Buy it! <laughs> Dark Revelation number one, Anarchy Comics. This is the first series from Anarchy Comics about an ancient biblical prophecy. There's angels and demons both cast out of heaven. They join together to rebel against God on Earth. They have kids with humans. Flash forward to our heroine who seems to be a Buffy the Demon Slayer if Buffy was part demon herself. A lot of cheesecake by Aspen artist Coy Turnbull, who is a Campbell clone. Story jumped around a lot, was kind of hard to follow. If you're into the Aspen Top Cow heroine type thing, maybe you'd be giving it a skim it. I'm saying leave it. Manhattan Projects, number four, Image Comics. This is another insane issue from Jonathan Hickman and Nick Batara. 
this time featuring the secret origin of Cranky Drunk Einstein. <laughs> there are more crazy, fun ideas in one issue of this book than in any ten comics you will read this week. Buy it. Justice League number 10, DC. The villain's journey continues to be an improvement, but the story still feels like it's missing something to me. I like yeah, Graves, I the new villain. I like the interplay between the league, but I can only still call this good, not great. The Shazam backup, however, is awesome. And the last page by Gary Frank is Gary Frank at his best. It was it's great. It's better than the main story because the characters are actually being developed. And that is what I need them to do with the JLA. Develop these damn characters. Regardless, buy it. Batman, Dark Knight, number 10, DC Comics. Greg Hurwitz takes over the writing with this issue, so I thought I'd see if he could turn this title around. Unfortunately, I still found it completely forgettable. This title has absolutely no reason to exist, with so many other amazing Bat books on the stand. Yeah, other than David Finch wants a Bat title. Yeah, and who cares? Like, David Finch, what have you done for DC lately? Maybe he slides over to Detective, who knows? DC needs to put this one out of its misery. I'm giving it a leave it. And you know, I posed this question to the peeps on Reddit Comics. Like, what do you think of Greg Hurwitz taking over? Are people excited? A ton of people were like, I love him. He's great. Well, like he wrote and a bunch they, of Punisher Max stuff, they right? They all went on to say, you know what sucks, though? Finch's art. And I was like, really? <laughs> Fatima, the blood spinners, number one from Dark Horse. Uh, Gilbert Hernandez is a crazy person. And it's well documented. He writes crazy comics starring busty Amazons. Fatima is our main character here. She hunts addicts turned into zombies by a drug called Spin. In the near future, it's mindless violence with a really offbeat sci-fi story. It's great. (laughs) That's just what Hernandez does. They're weird comics. They're black and white. His art is very simple, but it's fun. There's a great variant by Peter Bagg featuring a zombie. Buy this. It's weird and fun. Spider-Man, number two from Marvel Comics. This series has graduated from potential interesting train wreck to completely wonderful in the span of one issue. If you're holding off on this out of some misguided attempt to punish Marvel for changing their minds, then you are really missing out. Bendis is proving that he is one of the great Spider-Man writers of all time here. Beautiful art by Sarah Pacelli. This book is so much fun. I am giving it a strong buy it. Before Watchmen Night Owl number one from DC. JMS makes his Before Watchmen debut with the help of Andy and his father Joe Kubert on art duties. And when these two team up, amazing things happen. I loved this art. It was like super Joe Kubert. It was crazy. It had a very Silver Age feel. It looked so good. And this is a fantastic story showing us the origin of the new Night Owl. Sort of a different take on Batman. Sort of Batman without the tragedy. This is an ex- excellent comic booking and I wish the rest of the relaunch was being handled this well. If you're not reading before Watchmen, you're kidding yourself. Stop being a jerk. Go buy these. They're four for four now. Buy it. Wolverine the X-Men 12 from Marvel Comics. This series picks up where Avix number six left off. It doesn't necessarily jive with the events of that book. It really didn't. But whatever. This is another fun romp from Jason Aaron, and Chris Bocciolo is back with some of the best art I've seen. He's so good. He's just so good. In a long time, this book was gorgeous. I think Kid Gladiator is my new favorite character of this year. I love it. Buy it. Kerkersh! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Kerkersh is the sound it makes when David Finch's impossibly huge Batman swings through the driver's side window of a car and kicks a scumbag out the passenger side in what I described as a perhaps a trillion to one shot, seeing as <laughs> neither men could fit through those holes. Now, 
Join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where DJ and I will be freebasing bath salts distilled in the scrying vessel of Bo Ling, loaned to us by our friend the Thunderer, which will allow us to peer into the future of next week's comics. Of course, with our good friend Dr. Voodoo watching over us, just in case either of us flip into zombie mode and try to eat the other's face. You never can be too careful. Joe, what do you see yourself reading next week? My pick for next week is He-Man and the Masters of the Universe number one from DC Comics. It's certainly going to be a wild ride. By James Robinson and Philip Tan. I don't need to remind you people how I feel about James Robinson. What might not be apparent is my love of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I didn't know this was... He-Man was my jam. This is a thing? Really? This is a thing. And I... This is He-Man after Skeletor wins, basically. Having to regain his memory and rebuild the team to take Eternia back from the forces of evil. (laughs) I can't wait... And I'm not the biggest Philip Tan fan, but if there's anything he's good at, it's drawing crazy monster stuff. I'm a Philip Tan man myself. I'm a Dapper Dan man. (laughs) Matt, what have you seen in the scrying pool? Next week, the scrying vessel. It's what we smoked out of the scrying scrying vessel. vessel. Whatever, you know. I'm so baked. Yeah, we're super high. Next week, I'll be reading Mind Management, number two, written and drawn by Matt Kent from Dark Horse. Issue 1 was amazing and did not look like any other comic on the shelf. He's building a fantastic mystery here. Fans of Lost and Fringe, go and find Mind Management number 1. This book is going to be awesome. I think Matt Kent is one of my new favorite writers. Love him. Of course, we want to know what you nerds are reading, so be sure to shoot us a tweet and tell us about your favorite books next week. And of course... We would never suggest that anyone but us try bath salts without Dr. Voodoo around. Bath salts are wacko. Bath salts are wacko if you are a human being. (laughs) (laughs) Before we move on, Joe Patrick, what are lovely listeners saying about the question of the week? On Twitter, Lugosi6 is suggesting Jason Aaron take a stab at Captain America. I could see Jason Aaron writing Cap. And he is not the only one. Um, yeah, whatever's first time <laughs> contributor. A great name. Also suggested Aaron, but he suggests a Punisher Max-esque series starring Captain America, which I don't know mm. if that'll fit. And then over on Facebook. Maybe Josiah X. I could see that. Black Captain Josiah America. Josiah X. <laughs> Son of Isaiah Bradley. <laughs> Why don't we just call him Captain America? The truth. And call the other one the white Captain America. I think we just call him truth. And then over on Facebook, Ryan Mount is also echoing Jason Aaron, saying Jason Aaron might be the only person I can think of at Marvel who might get me to pick up the book again. Hmm. He did write a pretty good Ultimate Captain America, which yeah. is great. That series was really good. It was really good. He goes on to say... Uh, Garth Ennis on a Captain America run would be mind-blowing and unexpected. Maybe doing some World War II stuff. Maybe. I wouldn't yeah. hate that at all. I wouldn't hate seeing Garth Ennis's take on Cap in World War II. I think that would be cool. Yeah, I'm really liking the Jason Aaron sentiment right yeah, now. Yeah, that's, that's another one I did not think of. I like that. Good answers, guys. It's the weekend before 4th of July, so we're making an exception this week and doing a very special Happy Birthday America Top 5 Countdown, where Matt and I will be counting down our favorite patriotic superheroes that are Captain America. Matt, why don't you start us off with your number 5? 
My number five goes to American Maid. Shut up! Is she your number one? She's my number five. Ha! <laughs> Although she never appeared in the Tick comics, she was a loose mix between Wonder Woman and Captain America. Her weapons were her stiletto heels. Yeah. <laughs> they were like boomerangs. And her tiara. And she was like an actual superhero who had to put up with the Tick yeah. and Artie's BS. American Maid? America's most patriotic domestic. <laughs> she was an Olympic level athlete. She yeah. had no powers, and she was usually portrayed as the most competent superhero on that show. Oh, absolutely! She was fantastic. All right. So that was also your number five. Why don't you go ahead and tell us your number four? My number four is the Spirit of seventy six from Marvel one. Comics. That is a good one. He was inspired by Captain America. Self trained, no super soldier BS, and then he was recruited by President Truman. To become the new Captain America after Steve Rogers gets blowed up in World War II. And he did run around with a funny hat on for a he while. He dressed like a revolutionary <laughs> war soldier, I guess. Moron? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Spirit of 76. Love him. My number four goes to American Eagle from Marvel Comics, not the DC Zoo Crew American Eagle. Created by Doug Mensch. Jason Strongbow got his powers during a fight with oh, Claw Eagle. in the uranium mine when Claw's sonics mixed with radioactivity and boom, enhanced strength. Why not? Speed and resilience also. Back in the day, he was your typical Native American stereotype wearing this really like borderline racist Indian Didn't he costume. wear like a headdress? Oh, yeah. And that oh, like yeah. bone. Uh, Painted his face and yeah. everything. It was pretty. It was Yeah, he was Apache chief, more or less, but he didn't grow. <laughs> uh, until Warren Ellis got a hold of him during his Thunderbolts run, he became this yeah. badass Indian biker. And when the thunderbolts came to pick him up for the registration act he kicked the crap out of bullseye moonstone and venom just like wiped up the floor with them it was great love it when they came to phoenix that is to to get him to register i love american eagle they haven't done crap with him since what's your number three my number three and i'm prepared to fight for him is super soldier from amalgam comics really yes really because he's captain america and Superman. I know, I know. I remember. I just didn't love that book. At I loved all. it. I loved it. Really? Yes. Uh, well, I I don't remember the book at all. <laughs> I just remember really loving I remember the idea. It sucked. <laughs> he carried a, he carried around a shield shaped like the Superman logo. Awesome. Man, Dark Claw was the only thing I was interested in. <laughs> oh man, Super Soldier, <laughs> radical. My number three goes to Jack Flag, also from Marvel ah. Comics, created by Mark Grunwald. Flag began his career working on Captain America's computer hotline for his Citizen Patrol, and after learning the Serpent Society had moved into his hometown of Sandhaven, Arizona, and they paid some local criminals to beat his little brother Drake until he was paralyzed. Jack started lifting weights and studying martial arts so he could take down the Serpent Society himself. But he wasn't just going to take them down. He infiltrates them. They send him to steal a painting from Mr. Hyde for one reason or another. <laughs> While Mr. Hyde is literally throwing him around the room, beating on him, he gets some of Mr. Hyde's like super potions spilled on him. Boom, he gets super strength and invulnerability, kicks the crap out of Mr. Hyde. And later on, also in Warren Ellis's Thunderbolts, Jack Flagg is getting arrested. This was right. This was during the Civil War. The Thunderbolts came to pick up Jack Flagg as well because he wouldn't register. He beats the hell out of them until Bullseye has no choice but to paralyze him, putting him in a wheelchair. They send him to the Negative Zone prison, and he ends where up, he gets forgotten about. He gets forgotten about until he ends up in the pages of Guardians of yes! the Galaxy. It all comes full circle when Blastar 
comes to attack the negative zone he prison. He takes over the prison. Because he knows there's a path there's a pathway to Earth where he wants to go. And Jack Flag holds off Blastar and the like entire Paralyzed world, Jack yes, Flag. From his wheelchair yeah. holds off Blastar and the entire negative zone army. And then afterwards, he has to say thank you, the Guardians of the Galaxy, the medical staff at Nowhere. They give him his legs back. Yeah, he gets over that and whole And he's still thing. hanging out in space. Jack I love Flag. it. I love it. Love him. My number two is none other than U.S. agent John Walker, <sighs> also created by Mark Grunewald in the pages of Captain America. Mark Grunewald getting all kinds of play here. Nothing. There is nothing John Walker loves more than America. <laughs> he was handpicked by the government to replace Steve Rogers when Steve... The whiny baby would not kowtow it's to the true. government's wishes. It's true. He was Captain America for a while, and then when Rogers came back, he kept up the fight as the U.S. agent. Losing an arm and a leg during siege could not keep him down, and nope. now he's the warden of the raft, keeping America's nastiest villains in line. And there was actually a great line where someone was talking to Luke Cage about, like, is he hard to work with or whatever? And he's like, what do you think? The man could have had his pick of, like, cybernetic arms and legs from any one of these Tony Stark jerks, and he chose to ride around in a wheelchair because he's that tough. Yeah, yeah like, love Whoa. it. My number two goes to Patriot from Marvel Comics. This is Eli Bradley, the grandson of Isaiah Bradley, the original black Captain America from The Truth. Red, White, and Black miniseries. Eli is one of the founding members of the Young Avengers, created by Alan Heinberg and Jimmy Chung. Eli began using mutant growth hormone to give himself enhanced speed and strength, but it was also ruining his body, and in a very special episode of Young Avengers. When confronted by his teammates, Eli quits and quits the team. They end up bringing him back because they're like, you're the only one who can lead us. You're the only one who knew how to do any of this stuff. And he has helps them rescue Hulkling after he was kidnapped by the Super Scroll. Eli is gravely wounded during the fight. I think somebody shot a laser gun at him or something like that. Yeah, a laser gun. He has to receive a blood transfusion from his grandfather, who is definitely kind of whacked out. He's got all kinds of mental problems going on. And when he does, he ends up with real super soldier powers. And the next time we see Eli... He's like outrunning Black Hawk helicopters and jumping hundred feet in the hundreds of feet in the air and stuff. Love Patriot. I would love to have more Young Avengers from Alan Heinberg. Please, please, please. It'll never happen. Alan Heinberg cannot write a comic book script in less than six months. I know. Joe Patrick, what is your number one? My number one patriotic superhero is Uncle Sam from DC Comics. I knew it. I knew it. The Spirit of America. I hate Uncle personified Sam. Personified <laughs> into physical form. He's just so stupid. He's awesome. <laughs> he looks just like Uncle Sam That's from the poster. Why he's stupid. He walks around in that silly outfit. What are his powers? He's got... His powers are to do anything he f***ing wants. <laughs> if he wants to grow to 60 feet high, he can. I never If he wants to him. teleport to another universe, he can. I never gave a crap I love Sam. it. He's got a crazy set of powers tied directly into America's confidence in their country, and Ugh. I love that shit. <laughs> I just love that concept. Same with Gladiator, like where his powers are based on his own confidence. And if that was not good enough, Uncle Sam was created by Will Eisner. I didn't know that. Well, the original version. I did not know that. Matt, give me your number one. My number one goes to a guy that does not necessarily wrap himself in American flag, but I would argue that no one has done more to protect America in the Marvel Universe. Nick Fury. 
Ladies and gentlemen, created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, Sergeant Fury started his career leading the Howley Commandos, a racially and ethnically diverse group of soldiers in World War II. Boom. Towards the end of the war, Nick steps on a landmine, gets gravely injured, and is given the Infinity Formula, which basically stops him from aging. He'd been taking the formula for quite a while, but we recently learned he doesn't have any more of it, and he may or may not need it. Fury, like I said, doesn't wrap himself in a flag, doesn't wear a red, white, and blue costume, but he has spent his entire life sneaking around, doing the stuff that Cap can't do, that Cap won't do, to keep every single one of us safe, leading the Strategic International Espionage Law Enforcement Division, which later became the Strategic Homeland Intervention <laughs> Enforcement and Logistics Division, that is S.H.I.E.L.D. I would argue no one has given more of their unnaturally elongated life for the protection and service of the country they love. If you want to read the best example of just how badass Nick is, I can't think of a better read than Jonathan Hickman's 28-issue series, Secret Warriors. Nick Fury, my number one. So that is our top five patriotic heroes for this 4th of July weekend. We want to know what you guys thought of the list. And if there's anybody we missed, be sure to let us know on our Facebook page. And that is it for the 4th of July edition of the Two-Headed Nerd. If you don't blow your eardrums out with fireworks this weekend, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, where your star ratings and short reviews could help us get into the iTunes Top 10, people. And I think we would fit perfectly right in between Joe Rogan and Adam Carolla's show. Right about four or five. I don't want one. You know, four or five. I'm perfectly happy with that. I want number one. Look at you. I want it. Huge thanks to all our donors, and if you'd like to help keep us in bottle rockets and artillery shells, you can make your donation in any amount by clicking our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or the comic you would like to have us review and your THN mascot art for the official THN mascot contest, which I'm going to continue until I get at least one more. So you're going to have to keep hearing this, folks. Next week on the show, you kids get to take the stage when one lucky participant gets to ask a nerd, the nerd being us, their comic-related question, or try and stump Joe Patrick with some comic book trivia. It's been a little while, kids. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion, which I usually post sometime on Friday. Good lord. (laughs) Matt, speaking of the question of the week, who would you like to see take over Brubaker on the Captain America writing duties? He already writes a character out of time. Not necessarily a human character, but a great one. He had a comic book that came out this week. I'm saying I would like to see Brian Clevenger give me a Captain America book. He's already writing Atomic Robo. I think it could bring... Captain America has been so deadly serious for so long. They could lighten the mood a little bit, play up on the fact that he's the man out of time and give me a huge slam-bang action-packed Captain America book. I would love to see Brian Clevenger get a shot at Joe, who would you like to see? I want Mark Wade back on Captain America. Mark Wade's run on Captain America... It was great. ...is one of the greatest runs in history. Well, it's both of wonderful. his runs. He left and came back, and it was great he didn't again. Leave. He didn't leave. He basically got taken off the book yeah. for Heroes Reborn. Yeah. And his run was so beloved that Marvel put him back on the book. And I just... It's been a number of years. Mark Wade is in Marvel's good graces. That's true. And Daredevil, I think he could bring a classic yet unique take on Captain America to the Cap book, similar to what he's doing on Daredevil, and I would absolutely love it. 
Mark Wade, that's my pick. I totally agree. It's not a bad pick. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the Panel Culture Podcast, who invited one of us to guest host this week. Might be me, depending on what time I get out of bed tomorrow. Word to you guys who obviously don't listen to the show, or there's no way you would bring this level of filth and slander onto your well-respected podcast. Until next time, true (laughs) believers, we want to wish you all a safe and happy 4th of July. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Happy birthday, America.